Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Koslowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Since 1999, 932,000 people have died of overdoses in the United States. In 2020 alone, over 91,000 overdose deaths occurred. Opioids were responsible for 63,630 of those. This is 74.8% of all overdose-related deaths in the United States. In 2021, this increased 15% for an estimated 107,622 deaths. We all know that time, money, and resources are being poured into communities to help combat this epidemic. However, what if there was a company that was supporting this epidemic? What if there was a company that was purposely putting fentanyl into the hands of patients when it wasn't necessary? Today, we are covering the story of Insys Therapeutics and its founder, Dr. John Kapoor a company responsible for supporting the opioid epidemic while committing fraud against insurance companies. Find out how they did it on the season nine premiere of White Collars, Red Hands. Oh my God, we're back again. Uh, That's that's a really happy intro, so I'm not going to continue it any more than that because... As you can tell, uh, we, we we decided to start off season nine with just the most upbeat story we could find. The funnest. Yeah, just really get you back into... The swing of things. Yeah, the swing of, of what White Collars Red Hands is by depressing you as much as possible. That's our MO. <laughs> That's what we love to do. Yeah, no. We love to depress you. Not a lot of upbeat stories here, unfortunately. There's so. been a couple that are like fun Yeah, fun. I don't think I'd say upbeat yeah, maybe those guys who fake their deaths, but they're always doing crime. They and hurting people. Well, welcome back to season nine of White Collars Red Hands. This is Kishan. And I'm Nina, bringing you this story of sadness. We're really excited. Season nine. We've been doing this now like Dude. next month. Next month will be like two years of this. My God, two years. Mm-hmm. Two years. He's been putting up with my. Bullshit. Actually, longer than that, but a yeah. podcast bullshit. Two years of where someone else hears that bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, but there, there's been more previous to that, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just dive into this episode. So, we're going to be talking about John Kapoor and his company, Insys Therapeutics. So, John Kapoor was born in 1942, and I'm going to butcher this name. He was born in. Amristar, India. It looks looks right to me, said yes. the other person who had no idea. Yes. He was born into a modest family. He then moved to Mumbai. He graduated from the Institute of Chemical Technology with a degree in pharmacy. He moved to the USA and attended university at Buffalo on a scholarship. Kapoor started his career in 1972 at Invex Pharmaceutical in Grand Island, New York. He then left that company and he went to Lifomed. He worked his way up at Lifomed. A Lifomed. What a dumb name. What a phone in name for a pharmaceutical like, company. Yeah, call it a, we'll call it a life, 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 Lifomed. And you can't see, but they, they spelled it L-Y-P-H-O-M-E-D. Mm-hmm. Um, might it might be stupider than like L I F E? Oh, I'm sure there's a play on words there, but who cares? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. While he was at Lifomed, he had been instrumental in making a medication called pentamidine. I would say pentamidine. Maybe it's pentamidine. Anyways, whatever. It was used to help AIDS patients during the AIDS epidemic. Hey, and then while. Like, this drug was extremely useful. He ended up jacking up the price of the medication during the time of crisis by about 300%. Hey. So that will show you, just give you a small glimpse of how shitty this man is. This is Martin Shkreli before Martin Shkreli was a is, is Actually, there are a lot of similarities between him and Martin Shkreli. At least he only did 300 instead of, what, like 3,000? Like, Martin oh, Shkreli did 3,000% no. increase on Daraprim. 
It's not like we did a whole episode on it. We did do a whole episode. Fuck that guy. Um, So from 1981 to 2002, he invested in more than a dozen pharmaceuticals and was really hungry for profits. Um, He sold Lifomed to the Japanese for about $800 Um, And then once the Japanese took over, they realized that he was cutting a lot of corners and they actually had to halt production because of all the issues in the company. Wait, they just so they bought the company and they were like, hold it, stop everything. We got, yeah, because there's so much shit that they had to fix. That's not good. No, um, there is a documentary that talks a lot about what we're talking about today. It's on PBS called Opioids Incorporated. It was actually very interesting. If you would like to check it out, it is on YouTube. Um, so after he sold that company, he was in Chicago for a little bit, and then he ended up going to Arizona from Chicago. Hey, he did a reverse me. He did. He did a little... The, uh, it's the wrong way to do it, by the way. Yeah, that would not do it. Well, you'll find out why he did it. I think there's less oversight in Arizona. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so he went, from, went to Arizona from Chicago to help create a medicine to help cancer patients um kapoor's so yes kapoor's wife actually died of breast cancer which was sad um but kapoor founded insist therapeutics in 1990 and the pharmaceutical company was based in chandler arizona um his main goal was to decrease the pain for patients um because he saw what his wife went through which like the intent was there the intent was good or you know it sounds yeah. good well that's the thing with these pharmaceutical companies right is that at the base like they do they do something that's good at the base like mm-hmm. making these medications is very important and very um a very good thing it saves a lot of people's lives but then all of these people in suits come in and they, they take that great idea and then twist and mangle it into the worst abomination um in the world uh they they totally twist it and then use it against uh people in the most vulnerable time of their lives yeah and they're awful and uh they deserve to die yeah insist hit the market insist therapeutics i'm sorry hit the market with um subsis was subsis which was a fentanyl based medication um it was mainly used to treat cancer patients with extreme amounts of pain was this, did they like discover fentanyl or were they just one of the first people? They to were one of the first fentanyl? ones to utilize it. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you don't know, which I feel like this is pretty common knowledge, but if you don't know, fentanyl is a hundred times more powerful than morphine. And um, so it'll help you out pretty, pretty quick. Um, Subsys, which was the fentanyl medication again, would make patients feel better after about five minutes and usually it took 15 to 20 minutes with other medications for them to feel better yeah well you also said that uh was subsist the inhalant so they like breathed it in so what it was um it was actually an oral spray okay and so they would spray it directly into their mouths which would make absorption faster i about to say, I don't know how it was being absorbed the in the other medications i think they're probably taking like like oral pills probably uh because the only other thing i mean morphine would be they, an they, iv yeah right? they do intravenous morphine and that's immediate like i mean yeah you know, it's literally immediate um but i think other i mean other medicaid like stuff like oxycodone or hydrocodone or oxycontin those are all taken orally with, with yeah. pills yeah and so this was a spray mm-hmm um, Subsys was released in 2012 after the FDA approved it for dealing with pain related to cancer. Um, it actually didn't do incredibly well during the first six months because there weren't that many patients that needed to be treated with this type of medication. It was just, I mean, it is a niche, narrow window of patients. Yeah, this isn't like Tylenol. It's not like Advil. It's not something that you're, everybody, like everybody gets a headache. Everybody gets a stomachache. Like, you needed to be in a very specific type of pain in order to obtain this. Plus, if you get to this point, um, you're probably going to die. It's sad, but you're probably on hospice and you're probably already on a morphine drip, which is just an easier way to give you the pain medication than, you know, an oral spray. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Kapoor said that subsis was the worst launch in pharmaceutical history. 
So Kapoor was really not very happy with how things were going, obviously. Oh, really? Um, he wasn't happy with the worst launch in pharmaceutical uh, history? Uh, 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 no, <laughs> he wasn't very happy. So he fired his first national salesperson, and he ended up bringing in a man named Alec Berlikoff. And this is when things changed. Um, just for reference, Alec Berlikoff is a slime bag, and he's obviously going to get into trouble because he's on this podcast. But... Post everything that happened, he will literally do any interview that is given to him and he'll rat out everybody and talk about it. Like every single thing I watched about this, he was interviewed. ABC, PBS, NBC, American Greed, like everything, 60 Minutes, everything. Well, he doesn't have anything else to do. He doesn't have it. Well, that's, I was like, he probably is not making any money. He probably can't get a job. So. He's going to hire this guy. Right. I mean, I wouldn't. He was really shitty. Um, Berlikoff had spent about six years in pharmaceutical sales. And this man looks like a used car. He looks like a used car salesman who does too much coke. Like, uh, that's I, what he looks like. See, it's funny. You wrote down here a used car salesman on coke. And I was like, what? Just a used car salesman? So I'm, I'm imagining, I'm going to describe what I think this man looks like. Okay, and, and I'm going to pull up his picture. I just want you. you to tell me if I'm right first, too. Yeah, let, let, let's check. I, I'm imagining, like a, you know, a brown plaid suit with, like, a yellow tie, but he's got, his, he's got like, that long hair, but it's slicked back, like, greased back, but, like, too long, so it's curling at the ends. He's got a little toothpick hanging out of his mouth, and he's like... He's like, hey, can I interest you in some uh, niche pain medications for your cancerous wife? And that's how he talks. Berlikoff. How, how close am I? Not super close. His hair Damn is it. not long. Um, Damn it. This is what he looks like. Oh, he just looks scary. His eyes are way too wide. They're like, His eyes are way too yeah, wide. Yeah, he has super wide eyes. I don't know if he's just unfortunate or if he really just does that much cocaine. Mix of both. Yeah, I think, this, I, think that. yeah I think it is. So Berlikoff met Kapoor in 2012 and his sales tactics um, were, quote, by any means necessary, get the job done. Um, it created a very unhealthy sales culture at Insys Therapeutics. A former employee states it wasn't about cancer patients. It was about getting as many people on the drug as you could. That's not good. No, <laughs> it's not good. Um, Kapoor had put about $80 million on the line. He put it into this company in this product so he was really pressuring Berlikoff to make good sales Kapoor told Berlikoff that he wanted his profits minimum on investment two to one which they were making it sound really high I didn't really understand I'm not good with math that's just it's a 200% return on investment yeah that seems like a lot uh yeah yeah it's a decent amount yeah I mean honestly not that much though oh all right I mean stuff like we're talking in so now to drop, now that I'm in grad school, right? We've talked about the production of, like, proteins, uh-huh. and it costs, like, $10 to make it, and they sell it for 8000 What the fuck? Yeah, per, like, milliliter or whatever. That's insane. Yeah. So Whoa. a 200% return on investment is, is a lot, but in the scope of business, not that much, actually. All right. Well... Berlikoff said that the only way that he knew how to do that was to bribe doctors. He consciously knew that he was bribing people, or as he put it, he was just boosting sales. Um, <laughs> he would pay doctors to appear at national gatherings called speaker programs. And speaker programs were intended to cr- increase brand awareness through peer-to-peer luncheons and dinners. A sales rep Um, Her name's April Moore. She was actually told to get this one specific doctor in Chicago. His name is Dr. Paul Madison. And her manager, so April's manager, I'm not making this name up. Her name was Sunrise Lee. And she'll be more important as we go on. You may not be making that up, but Sunrise Lee made that up. Mm, I don't know. Um, Dr. Madison, this one gathering that he did um he did put on a speaker program but no other doctors came oh my god it's like one of your open mics well yeah it's an open mic fuck you um, <laughs> while he was like at this restaurant or wherever he was that no one showed up he actually saw one of his friends and sunrise lee had the friend and his dates forge signatures of the doctors that were supposed to be there so that the guy could get paid so it's literally just like him 
Like he's at a restaurant and he shows yeah, up. They were like at a lunch, and he's just sitting there at like a big. I imagine like one of those big long tables. Like they told him, like, like he told him to set it up for twenty five doctors, and it's just him there, just like eating a Caesar salad and and like looking sad, like he got stood up by by like the largest polycule ever. Yeah, literally. Damn. Literally. Um, Kapoor insisted that they keep track of who the speakers were, who they spoke to, and the number of prescriptions for substances that were distributed based off of those people who attended those gatherings. Um, but this apparently had never been done before in the scope of pharmaceutical sales. Oh, so they're so they are the pioneers of this bullshit. Yeah, huh? they're like pioneers of bribery. I've had to say, because we, we know, well, the people who listen to our uh, small claims courts will know that uh, I talked about a company called Novartis that did kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's just that they did it to boost the sales of their blood pressure medication, not fentanyl, yeah. which... Those are different. They're a little bit different. Um, a, if a doctor was not meeting the prescribing requirements, they would no longer be part of the speaker program. Mm-hmm. Um, just an example of this, Dr. Paul Madison was paid $86,000 in speaker fees, but wrote $1,200,000 in subsist prescriptions. Um, after all this kind of came to light, We'll find out later and like, all you know, obviously this is all going to come to light because we've been talking about it. But his medical license ended up being revoked by the state of Illinois, but he served no jail time. And from what I could find, he didn't have any charges brought against him. But huh. he did get to like lose his license. It's not illegal to accept a bribe as a doctor. Guess not. You just lose your license, but it's not like illegal illegal i don't know i don't know that law but he didn't go to jail then it should i i think it should kind of be illegal illegal. oh it should be a hundred percent illegal. Like he should lose his license also but he should also just like get go actual, to jail get actual yeah. arrested not like doctor arrested and taken to <laughs> doctor, doctor jail. Arrested. like that's stupid doctor jail thing. sounds like sexy time you're going to doctor jail <laughs> your mind's just in the gutter man i don't know <laughs> Dude, come on a little bit no. You've been bad. You didn't take your medicine. You're going to doctor. I'm not. What? I'm not, because I didn't take. I didn't take my metformin. You're, you're going to take me to doctor jail. Like I'm diabetic. You, like you, you should. You should give me insulin, not penis. Like what are you talking about? You didn't take your recommended amount of vitamin D. Let me guess. Doctor jail. Doctor jail. Great. Kind of sounds sexy. Anyways, all right. Anyways. <laughs> Doctors like Madison were known as quails. I don't know why, though. I never can figure out why. Why did you even put it in here? Yeah, You're I just like, they funny. were called quails. It was funny. I don't I know why. A- <laughs> they just were. <laughs> I thought it was a funny little nickname. They're like, here's our quails. Don't they make that sound? They're like. I don't think. Isn't they- that a quail sound? I don't think they coo. I don't know. We or is that a dove? We had qu- That's a dove. We had quails in Arizona. I don't remember them making any noticeable sounds what's better my accents or my quail sounds oh wow tough <laughs> tough to call they're just both so good just you know what here's the thing if you're snl audition do both because they're they're honestly they're both so good i will what, what if one day i do get on snl and you're gonna eat your fucking words i will all right <laughs> Berlikoff says that his reps would get up at five or six in the morning and drive by doctor's offices. Um, Sorry, I'm going to say that again. Berlikoff says that his reps would get up at five or six in the morning and drive from doctor's office to doctor's office um, to try to find people to kind of poach. Does that make sense? Like, oh, here, join our program, blah, blah, blah. Um, He did say, and I quote, the ones with lines of patients sitting on the floor drinking Mountain Dew, pretty good sign that the doctor would... Is that that's the type of doctor you would want to engage with? See, I was about to say this is the reason why the waits are so long at doctors' offices. You go in there, and this guy's this a coked out sales manager in there, being like, "Yo, man, you got to give him more. Of the, you got to give him more of this this fucking oral spray that's gonna make him fall asleep under underpasses." Like, and I'm like, I I need a boil lance. Like, can we speed this up? <laughs> a boil lanced. Ew. I did you, not you know what you said first. Yeah, second. okay. The real doctor's office is the opposite of Dr. Jail. It's very unsexy, okay? You have to do things like get your bunions looked at and get boils lanced and other various such ailments that start with a B and are gross. 
Former nurse practitioner Heather Alfonso said that she was paid about $83,000 to prescribe substance to patients. When asked why she crossed those ethical lines, she said that she was going to support she was going to prescribe something one way or another, so she might as well make some extra money, um, which is kind of shitty. You're a doctor. You, you literally take a Hippocratic oath. Like, yeah, think about your patients a little more than, eh, all medications are the same. They're not. No, they're not. This um, is why you never go see a nurse practitioner. I see a nurse practitioner. Go see a real doctor. I don't, I don't even Some know. Some nurse practitioners are great, but just like... I know. I... I'm really bad about going to the doctor. Anyway, she said that she had five children and heard that her partner was not providing very well financially. And so that extra monthly money was something that she needed. And that was kind of something that motivated her to cross those ethical lines as well. Um, Berlikoff said that they would target people in distress and take advantage of them. So they were finding not only patients in distress, they were finding medical professionals that also were in distress targeting them to get them to cross these ethical lines. Yeah, that's fair. Doctors have one of the highest rates of suicide. Well, I would kill myself too if I had to lance a boil. All right. I guess the next time I need a boil lance, I'm not calling you. No, don't. All right. So after incest would get the provider on board, they would pressure the provider to prescribe even higher doses of subsis. And this was actually called titration. Yeah. I wanted to say titeration. It's definitely not titeration. It's that's titration. That's something that happens at doctor jail. Yes. <laughs> that's why I was going to say it. Um, it was also known as higher dose campaign. Great. <laughs> Substance was measured in micrograms. You could get the dosage between 100 and 1600 micrograms. Um, to put this into perspective, if you do not have a tolerance for fentanyl, 2000 micrograms will kill you. And if you take a thousand micrograms, it will most likely kill you. I'm about to say, I was telling you before, but I might as well tell you people at home that I saw I, an article today on the news about um, a group of people got arrested trafficking enough fentanyl to kill every single person in the United States because that's how little it takes. Yeah, it doesn't take very much at all. kill you. Because um, you got to think, we said micrograms, and when we said micrograms, we meant it. Yeah, right? we didn't you, mean milligrams. You may be thinking milligrams, but no. that's micrograms. micrograms. And if my math is correct, which uh, it's probably not, but I think like this is like, we're talking about like one milligram. I think I think there's a thousand micrograms in a in, in a milligram. So yeah, I think micro is ten to the negative sixth. And milli is ten to the negative three. So, so this is this is like one point six milligrams will kill you. You take two hundred milligrams of ibuprofen and it'll leave. Yes. All right. That's how small I just took this is. Four hundred milligrams of ibuprofen. Yeah. Because I had a headache. That amount of that amount of fentanyl would kill. Oh, like four hundred people. So that's so much. Yes. So scary. Yeah. So that's why the stuff's really dangerous. Yeah. And they were they were getting doctors to, to over prescribe this to people. Yeah. It's also really addictive. On top of that. Yeah. So. Not only could it fucking kill you, it's super addictive. The sixteen hundred microgram prescription was worth about sixty thousand dollars to the company, which is crazy. Um, for the so. Wait, each one. That's what I understood. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there was a lot of incentive oh. to get people to give these higher doses. And for the sales rep, they would get paid bonuses for doctors who would write those prescriptions. So the higher the dosage, the more money you would make. Our healthcare system is broken. I know. I was sitting there watching this documentary and, like, reading all this stuff about this. And I was just like, what the fuck? Bruh. It gets worse, though. So don't worry. Um, and like we were saying before, it doesn't take very much to kill you. Like a thousand can kill you if you don't have a good enough tolerance. And they were writing 1600. That's like only 400 more and you'd be dead for sure. Yeah. You, if you forgot, and, and the, and you forgot is, if you took it, you take another one. Oh my God. Dead. I didn't even think of that. You're dead. You're dead. Uh, sales reps were also subjected to contests to see who could win the highest amount of doses, resulting in cash prizes. So business was booming, and um, Kapoor ended up making a very generous donation to his alma mater at the University at Buffalo, and they actually ended up naming a building after him and his wife. I just 
thought that that was interesting. That's like while everything's like on the rise. And I think that's really shitty because he's doing all these super unethical things. And then they name a building after him. Actually, that's the number one way you get a building named after you is to do a bunch of unethical things to hoard wealth and then give enough back to someone that they name a building after you and call that charity. And then you say to yourself, well, those things equal out, right? And I'm not a bad person. You're still a bad person. You're a very bad person. Um, at this time, he was getting a lot of recognition on Wall Street. Um, Insys Therapeutics went public in May of 2013. Michael Babich. Oh, wish that was my last name. Babbage. You could have had a bad bitch. Not committal. Help you with your career. Just a little. Nina Babbage. That'd be cool. Anyway, he was hired to help manage the stock portfolio, and he would actually eventually become CEO of Insys Therapeutics. Michael Babbage was the CEO? He ended up becoming the CEO at one oh. point. Yep. Um, before he got fired. Anyways, within five months of its initial public offering, Insys shares shot up by 400%. Oh, dang. Kapoor's $80 million investment was now worth $550 million. That's more than two on one. Mm-hmm. But usually, and as we know, on White Collar's Red Hands, when something shoots up like that, it is probably too good to be true. And months after Subsys, the Subsys launch um, and all the stock stuff, um, whistleblowers started blowing all the whistleblowers were saying the same things about bribery and the massive volumes of prescriptions, but this didn't really stop anyone from buying stock. And by 2014, Kapoor's investment was approaching $1 billion in value. Oh, my God. It was crazy. And, um, and they basically only make this fentanyl medication, right? Or are they doing other things? They had a couple of um, other medications. But Subsys is but like their Subsys biggest But was their number one selling Ugh. drug. All right. Um, and primary prescribers for this pain, they were uh, these pain meds for Subsys. Basically, they were just like pill mills. Like they were just giving people this medication for really no reason because of all the money they were getting kicked back. And one doctor named Gavin Auerbuch, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong, our butch. Hey, who cares? He was given about $130,000 worth of money in speaking fees, and he prescribed $7 million worth of subsist to his patients. Oh, my God. $7 million. At some point, you got to think, too, do you, do you think they... Because they can't have that many people come to them with pain enough to warrant this, right? So, so do you think they're literally just like feeding addicts at some point too? Oh, absolutely! Like I a hundred. Well, so this, this guy—that's why this guy ended up getting caught because they—he was—he was feeding addicts. I bet. And here's the other problem with this: you're not only feeding the addicts, you're creating the addicts. Yeah, I, that's why I'm pretty sure there are limits now. Like, oh, if, absolutely. If you prescribe yeah. a certain amount of opioids. Um, you get like investigated mm -hmm. by some sort of like governing board, which is why they like there's then now there's a whole system where like if you got opioids at one place, it's like logged into a national database. Yeah, so it's like so that other, other doctors can know that you got it, which was used to not be a thing. I found this all out from a guy on TikTok who used mm -hmm. to have an, an opioid addiction and talks about his experiences mm -hmm. that he would like go to multiple doctors. And one time he like they looked him up in the national system. They were like, you know, there's this thing. And like, if you keep doing this, like you're going to get arrested and I'm like, your doctors are going to get arrested. And I was like, yikes. Honestly, they should. You shouldn't be able to just hand out this much of a drug that can kill people. Yeah, it needs to be monitored. Yeah, you need you need to show a pretty good need to get to get opioids now with what they've. If shown I they have to, to be logged into a database for Sudafed, because you have to, you're not allowed to buy too much Sudafed at once. Yeah, meth. To yeah, to make meth. And I will say that this was all, so. I had a friend who had um, cancer around this time. Um, she died in 2014, and. When she had cancer, now she had stage four colon cancer. She was in a lot of pain. She like did need these pain pills, but they just gave her a rotating prescription. Like it wasn't like here's 30 pills and you have to come back in 30 days. They were like, nope, when the 30 pills are used up, you can just come back. So if she took 30 pills in a week, she could go right back and get 30 more pills. They only do that for people who are like, well, I mean, done so though. She was, but so 
at that point, see, like at that point, like that's fine. But but we need to be able to we need to be able to show that need and document it. Right. So I'm just saying, I think that that was what was happening here too. They were writing these types of prescriptions. Yeah, that it you, was like, you should you, just... you should need other things. Like maybe get a second opinion. Yeah. Like require a second opinion, and then if they're like yes, yeah, you're done. So I'm yeah. I'm hoping that's not how doctors say it. Like you're like done-zo. like if when I am terminally ill, my doctor comes in and says. I don't know, bro. You're donezo. That would that would probably be uncool. But nevertheless, um, at that point, like you get a second opinion. If they say it, sure. Yeah. Like at that point, come on. Uh, so sad. Anyways, when this bro- when this news broke, the company insisted that they weren't responsible for the overprescribing. Oh. Wall Street was on intent on keeping the stock price up and really ignored these headlines. Um, it's also noted that there was a culture of fun at Insys Therapeutics. Not quite as much fun as Jordan Belfort and uh, his employees no, had. No strippers on the desks at Insys? Not all, not on the desks, but I think afterwards there are definitely some strippers. Um, doctors and female staff would all f- often have affairs. Um, they, are, they would also take doctors on private jets to Cancun. And Berlikoff said that forming relationships like this were crucial because if the relationships and trust were not there, then doctors would be less likely to participate in a quid pro quo situation. Huh. It reminded me of Jack Abramoff in some ways. Yeah, I mean, this I mean, it's is, like lobbying. It's like this is every business, yeah. which is really which is kind of a gross thing about business that at the highest point, this is what business is, is they like they all you do is like take people out and get drinks mm-hmm. and party and then say like, oh, man, I showed you such a good time. You should do this. It's never about facts. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it's mostly this. <sighs> yeah. And the way that they were really able to get away with this with these sales reps, um, a crucial part of their success was hiring people without pharma experience at all for the sales team. So they would hire former firefighters. There was a past pro football player, former Playboy model. Um, they would hire these inexperienced people for management positions because they like didn't even know what they were doing. Like you know what I oh, mean? So they like, didn't know they were like breaking the rules. No, well, like they didn't know enough to be able to be conscious about the what the drug they, about, about how bad about what they were doing was bad right okay yeah. yeah the one guy was like yeah like i knew that maybe i shouldn't be bribing doctors but i didn't know i could potentially kill people yeah, with he, this medication he's like i got cte i don't even know what's happening i got my head hit around too much right my brains are mush man i i just told people to sell more yeah and remember Sunrise Lee, the lady I was talking yeah, about earlier? How could you forget Sunrise Sunset? Um, she oversaw the entire Midwest. So she was in charge of the entire Midwest for incest. Um, she also had no pharmaceutical background and was actually formerly an exotic dancer. So there were strippers on the desk. They were just sat behind them in a managerial role. Yes. Great. Um, she was very hot, though. I will note that. I mean, you kind of got to be. Not necessarily. If. At least a little bit. There's some strippers that I've seen that are not hot. Yeah, where Ohio? Yeah, yeah. In Akron specifically. Yeah, I know a couple. You get, it depends on where you are. Okay, well they're in Akron six. So, um, Berlikoff said that he was more concerned about employees having killer instinct and no conscience than he was about them being experienced in pharmaceuticals. He actually that, in the inter, in the interview I watched with him he actually used the words no conscience. I mean that may work in in banking but it's a pretty evil thing to have in pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Honestly, it's a pretty evil thing. It's to just have a in pretty evil thing. Yeah. But when you're you have people's lives on the line like this. Yeah, like literally. Literally. Yeah. Not like just you metaphorically said, if like they a lot fuck of up and take their medicine twice they're done. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, mm, yeah, but my my pocketbook and this is where things also get really terrible. So in October, because you've got to think, the insurance companies got to be wondering a little bit, right? Like they're the ones approving all this stuff. They're approving these prescriptions. They're paying for it. Well, in October of 2012, Kapoor approved a pilot program called Insys Reimbursement Center or the IRC. So most drugs actually have a 35 to 40% approval rate. This is standard medication, especially for fentanyl, um, for the insurance company to cover it. Oh, mm-hmm. um, Kapoor wanted it to be 100%. So the insurance reimbursement center would mislead insurance companies. 
The employees of the IRC would pose as employees of the practitioner to mislead the insurance provider so that they would approve the drug for the patients that were not cancer patients. So if the, if the patient had cancer, the insurance companies were more likely to approve the payment for the drug. If it was a non-cancer patient, prior authorization specialists, so that's what they were called at the IRC, would give a spiel saying what the drug was used for in order to confuse the person on the other line, and they would indicate that the patient had cancer but not actually say it so that the, the insurance company would approve it and pay for it. Uh, so these are for real people, though. They would call for real people mm-hmm. to get the medications? Approved, yeah. And they would make they would incline that the person had cancer but not say it yeah Uh they would like have the spiel in order to confuse the person on the other side of the phone and then it would work and like the one lady she that they interviewed who was an employee she was like i just didn't even realize what i was doing was wrong i thought i was helping people i thought these people had a script right well she did she just had a script and she was like oh they won't approve these people need this medication like i think that also, these people who were reading these scripts and doing these spiels, I don't think they understood what the medication did because she was like, I thought I was helping people who couldn't get their medicine. That's what I thought I was doing. I didn't know that this was what I was doing, mm. which I would have to think that you would feel a lot of guilt about that Yeah. after the fact. I know I would. I'd be interested in reading that script if I could find it. There's clips of it. Um. So... As we were talking about before with the high potency in it being an opioid and fentanyl, these patients actually, they started to become addicted to the medication, like we were talking about, and hundreds of deaths started happening. Um, Carolyn Markland, she had back pain and she had sepsis and the night, so she took sepsis and then died in her sleep. She ended up dying. Um, her doctor was a paid speaker, speaker, by insist. Yeah, by the way, speaker was always in quotation marks Speakers. for they those of you listening. Yeah. They yeah. they don't actually speak. They no. get paid for doing quote-unquote speaking events, but what they do is they just hand them the money and the events are fake. Yeah, exactly. Um, when reporters were publishing stories about this company, people at Wall Street um, demanded that they didn't understand what they were talking about. Like they were, you know, when people were being brought this information because people were rec- like people on wall street were recommending that people invest in the stock well, and then like yeah. and then people were bringing this to them and they were like hey like these things are happening and they were like nah, i don't know what you're talking about i must say this is this is what's hard about biopharmaceutical companies is that because it requires there's so much entry knowledge to be able to understand how things work that understanding if a business is doing what it should or not is really difficult yeah and the one man that was interviewed who was, you know, a Wall Street, someone, he was a broker, I guess. He's yeah. Broker. Yeah. He was a broker that was suggesting that people invest in this stock. He was like, I was talking to the managers. I was talking to people in Insys and I had to just, be- I believed them. Like, you know, they were telling me one thing. They all kept telling me the same thing. So I believed them. Yeah. Cause they're supposedly experts, right? Right. Yeah. It's just like, he didn't know that. It's just like freaking Rob I- Gronkowski, they hired to manage their sales department. So now. Yeah. They don't know. No. He doesn't know. And it's it's idiots leading idiots. Literally. Literally. That's what it is. Berlikoff says that he was able to compartmentalize what they were doing because if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to do his job. It's like so, so fuck don't, you, yeah, dude. You don't do your job then. Yeah. You did you like you gotta tell uh Mr. Kapoor no. <laughs> That like we can't do this, but you don't have a conscience. You wanted you wanted money. Yeah, that's all you wanted. That's not, all you cared not to about. To do your job, you wanted the most money you could get from your job, and it didn't matter. People's like, like it didn't matter if people died. You didn't care. Yeah, like fuck you, dude. So, anyways, because of all these whistleblowers, and you know, more and more evidence is piling up that this. You know, people are dying and, you know, now we're busting all these doctors who are prescribing insane amounts of this drug. Um, There was a subpoena for the company and Kapoor knew that the company was going to get into trouble. So Kapoor took Babbage, who was the CEO at a time. He took him out to get a drink and he told Babbage that he was going to be the fall guy for the company. He was like, Babbage, you're going to take the fall for this. Um, no. (laughs) And he did. 
Oh. That's what makes no sense to me is Babbage was like, all right, I guess. What a simp. I know, right? And he stepped down as CEO at as he stepped down as CEO at Insys Pharmaceuticals. Or I'm sorry, Therapeutics. And then Kapoor announced after Babbage stepped down that he would take over the CEO position. And it actually wasn't very long after that that Berlikoff would step down from the company as well. Um, one day, Berlikoff's lawyer called him, and he was like, it's never good when your lawyer just calls you without you calling them first. That's fair. Yeah. So Berlikoff's lawyer calls him, and he told him that he was going to be subject to a criminal investigation and advised him to get a criminal attorney. So this is what Berlikoff actually does. He calls a man named Nathan Yeager at the attorney general's office and says that he wants to talk. So Berlikoff thought that he could talk this way, talk his way out of this situation. You can't. He was like, I've done so many deals in the past. Like, I'm so good at talking to people. I'm just going to talk not. my way out of this. You can't. So he goes in without a lawyer. Dummy. And he meets with an assistant U.S. attorney and an FBI agent. And so he's low, like, he's telling half-truths. He's, like, low-key lying he's like, yeah, in this whole entire thing. I'll go in there and spin a yarn. I'm good. Yeah. He's, like, sitting there telling them bullshit. And after he's done, like, and the um, attorney, the assistant attorney general who was interviewing him, he was like, I knew he was lying to me the entire time. He's like, I'm not stupid. I know you're lying. And when he, he's like, I didn't even ask him any questions. He just came in and just started spewing his guts. Like, he just started saying shit. But half oh. of, he's like, all right, let me write that down. But half of it's not true. And like he was, a lot of what he was saying was like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. This is what they were doing. My hands were tied. Like, blah, blah. Um, and basically afterwards, they were like, we know you're lying to us. Like, go home. We know you're lying. So within months, that's when arrests were starting to be made. Alec Berlikoff, Sunrise Lee, Michael Babich. Uh, Michael Gurry, who ran INSYS Reimbursement Center, Richard Simon, who was the national director of sales, and Joseph Rowan, who was the regional sales director, they all got arrested. But there was not enough evidence to arrest Kapoor somehow. Ugh. So Kapoor then made some changes to the company. He got a man named Tony Peskoski to take over sales. And in 2016, things really began to change because of the reputation of the organization and the rise of the opioid epidemic. Yes, epidemic. And I wrote academic. The opioid academic. Those of us uh, amongst Idiot. the intelligent heroin users, the opioid the, academics. The, 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 the smartest of us. Um, but... Let me start that over. In 2016, things began to change because of the reputation of the organization, the rise of the opioid epidemic, and media coverage on the company and the epidemic as a whole. Um, the stock quit becoming recommended because of the reputation of the company. Um, brokers quit recommending that people invest in it. Makes sense. Which, yeah. On October 26, 2017, John Kapoor was arrested and charged with RICO conspiracy. It's funny. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I was like, you telling me they couldn't hit him with a RICO case? They did. But they did. They hit him with RICO conspiracy. Get conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Conspiracy to violate the anti-kickback law related to Insys' effort to secure to secure prescriptions as subsists. And the stock was down 34% before the arrest. So they already weren't doing very good. Get recode! Yes. And in 2018, the stock had fallen to single digits when it was pretty high before. I think it was reaching like $50 a share. Nice. Yeah. Um, the company was on, like, and this is one thing that does make me feel better about all this is that the company was brought down by its own abuse of the system, which that feels good, but I wish they wouldn't have done what they did. Um, Babich and Berlikoff both pled guilty. Alec Berlikoff, yeah, Alec Berlikoff agreed to pay the state of Arizona $9.5 million. Um, he actually didn't get any jail time, which is bullshit, but he had to pay all that money. Uh, Babich was sentenced to 30 months in prison in January 20. And then all the other people were also sentenced to about 30 months in prison when it was okay. all said and done. That's the minus Kapoor, but the director yeah. of sales and the regional director. Yeah. Okay. Sunrise Lee and all those people were all got about 30 months in prison. Um, on January, 2019, John Kapoor became the first pharmaceutical CEO to be tried criminally with anti-racketeering laws. 
And after two weeks, all of those who were arrested were found guilty. And in June of 2019, Insys Therapeutics agreed to pay a $225 million to settle the investigations on their marketing practices. On January 23rd, 2020, Kapoor was sentenced to five and a half years in prison, and his projected release date is December 11th, 2024. Insys filed for bankruptcy on June 10th, 2019. Yeah. Get wrecked. Yeah. Finally. I don't think it's wrecked enough, though. I mean, hey, CEO's in prison and company is no more. That's that's honestly better. That's a better result than 90% of the cases that we talk about here. That's true. Honestly. I, I am a little worried that he is going to get out early. Oh, probably. Um, Because he is old. He's in his 70s. He's in his late 70s. So I'm slightly concerned that he will not serve his full time, but... I'm glad he went to jail. He might get out of there early in a fucking body bag. That too. Maybe. Maybe. Ah, They never let that happen. Maybe. There's been multiple times. Someone will spray some fentanyl in his mouth. Hmm? There has been multiple multiple times, though, that we talk about someone that that gets out because they're sick and then live for another, like, 15 years. Yeah, we've talked about that. That's happened, like, three times. And I'm like, just stop letting him out then at this point. Just let him die John Kapoor and the entire company of Insys Therapeutics are a prime example of greed and carelessness. Kapoor and his company put profits before patients and preyed on the sick to make their money. Unfortunately, as we see time and time again, I do not feel that the crimes fit the punishment. Although Kapoor initially made substance to help cancer patients like his wife, much like his drug, his actions were turned lethal. Lives were lost, an epidemic was fueled, and the country will arguably never be the same again. Thank you for listening to our season premiere of White Collars, Red Hands. I will say something I forgot to say earlier. Um, They did take his name off that building. Oh, okay. Yeah, they took it off. Good. It is no longer the Kapoor Center. It's No, it's not the John and Edith Kapoor Elon Musk SpaceX Center or some some other thing. So when he has a scandal in five years, they can take his name off of it too. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, this this is like I don't even think we've fully felt the effects of this. Right? Like this is kicked off like this is even worse than just the little bit we talked about. I mean, this has kicked off such a big thing here in America that's killed so many people. Uh, we looked it up before we started uh, in 2020, the amount of uh, drug overdose-related deaths. So you mentioned in the intro, it was like 63,000 mm-hmm. um, for just opioids out of the 90,000. So more than two-thirds of overdose deaths are opioids and... Most of that, most of that two-thirds is fentanyl. Mm-hmm. So it's become a real big issue. Uh, there were something like 30, less than 30,000 deaths from overdose in the late 1990s a year. So that's a big increase. It's almost to the point of diabetes-related deaths in America, which said about 103,000. Um, that sort of total drug overdose deaths are almost there, a large part of which is opioid-related. So, yeah, this is this is awful. Yeah. Uh, Insys um, is... Shitty. Shitty. This also, like, hits pretty close to home for me. Luck, thankfully, none of my family members... Well, I do have a few, but um, no one super close to me um, is addicted to opioids. But I come from an area in Ohio that is very heavily affected by the opioid epidemic. Like... I live in more of a rural area. There's not a lot to do um, where I lived in there before I moved here. But my mom was at a Title I school when she was still teaching. And one, like this was probably like three or four years ago, in one fourth grade class, one fourth grade class, four parents died of a fentanyl overdose. Oh, my God. In one class of like 25 to 30 kids. So like this is widespread. It's. And it unfortunately hits underprivileged communities, yeah, the hardest. And they're like they're like one fourth of the amount of deaths from meth in a year. So if you learn anything from this episode, if you're on fentanyl, switch to meth. It's safer for you. <laughs> yeah, it's just that's so the shitty. life lesson to take home today. No, just don't do it. You're gonna die. Yeah, 
You're going to ruin yourself. You're going to ruin everybody else. Yeah, statistics show yes. So, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for coming back for the, the, the super uplifting and yeah, positive season nine premiere. We actually have a really fun episode in store for you next week, though, that doesn't involve any death. Yeah. I had to think about it. No, no death at all. And has a pretty good ending. Oh, good. I will good. Say, we a, need a happy ending. There's a there's a good story next week. You you all will like it. I Hopefully. Can't wait. can't wait. Well, if you liked what you listened to and you want to support us, there's multiple different ways you can do that. Some free ways that you can support us is by following us on our social medias. We are on Facebook.com slash White Collars Red Hands. We are on Twitter at White Collars Pod. We are on Instagram at White Collars underscore Red Hands. We are also on TikTok. I need to update that. We are on TikTok at White Collars Red Hands. Um, if you have a suggestion for an episode, um, please reach out to us. You can do that by emailing us at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. You can also, you can access that through the website, right? Yeah, you can go to our yeah. yeah. You can go to our website at whitecollarsredhands.com if you want to learn a little bit more. Um, oh, another, someone sent us an email or a message from there the other day. Oh, so, yeah, that's right. And we, we Complimenting we, us. Yeah, we, and we got back to them, so thank you for doing that. Yes, we, we appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate you. Um, an unfree way to support us is by going and buying merch. Um, we are on at T Public. You can buy all sorts of great things. We do have really warm hoodies as the weather is changing that you could buy for yourself. They're soft on the inside too. Yeah, they're so. Oh my god, they're so soft. Yeah. They're the soft. It might be the softest hoodie I own, and I'm not exaggerating. Like that thing's so. It's pretty nice actually. Soft. Um, I'm forgetting something. Tell a friend. Oh, yeah. Well, no, there was something else before that. Oh, another free way that you can support us is by going and giving us a rating and a review. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Spotify. If you could give us reviews on those, it would be super duper helpful. Um, but yeah, if public- you give us a sick enough rating, we might just take you to Dr. Jail. Exactly. Um, and then another way you can support us is obviously just by telling your friends. I have friends all the time on social media who are like, I need I, I need a podcast to work out to. I need, I'm going on a road trip. What's a podcast? If, power of suggestion. Yeah, and I don't have friends, but I go out under uh, underpasses and I scream at random people. Seems to work. Yeah, well, he sprays fentanyl in their mouth. Um, yeah. Yeah, it works super so. well. But <laughs> you could probably be more productive than Chacon. Chacon, Kashan. Jesus. What did you say? I came out of my mouth. Chacon? <laughs> Kashan. It's like a it's like a chicken trying to find its identity. Kashan. It's not chicken, it's Chacon, actually. Chacon. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to us. Um, we'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars Red, Red Hands. Hands.